Go ahead and have a seat, church. Mm. Miracles, the God of miracles. I don't know about you, but there's been times in my life, and, and probably more consistent than not, where I've needed God to bring about a miracle. And uh, last night, I knew I was preaching on, and so, you know, oftentimes I give a little sermonette at our dinner, dinner table. Uh, my kids love it sometimes, um, not every time. And so I, I just started asking my kids, well, what is a miracle? What, what is that? And my oldest, uh, Jace, he said, it's when God does the impossible. And I said, yes, son, you are exactly right. It's when God does the impossible. And then we started asking, what are some of the things that God has done? What are some of the miracles that we see in Scripture? And we talked about Jesus' resurrection, massive, massive miracle. We talked about Jesus bringing in the fish when they had fished all night and there were no fish. We talked about many, many of the miracles. And then we said, well, what miracles have we experienced in our own life as a family? What are some of the miracles that we just want to remember that God has done? And and one that we remember uh, and we're very fond of is that one time my little son, when he was a baby, uh, he had a, an intense fever, and we were just praying and praying and praying and just would not break, would not break. And, and then my little girl, um, she was probably four or five at the time, uh, she began to dance and sing a prayer over him. And literally just moments after this little act of childlike faith, the fever completely broke in a moment. And it built my kids' faith, and we still talk about those things. We still look back and say, man, God was a God of miracle, or, or, or many other countless things that we talked around the table. And so today I want us to look at, as we continue the book of Mark, as we get to uh, Mark chapter 6 on the back end of this, we're going to see a, a miracle. And I want us to not be naive about miracles. I, I want us to, to, to understand some truth about miracles. This is what C.S. Lewis says about miracles. He says, miracles are a retelling in small letters of the very same story, which is written across the whole world in letters too large for some of us to see. And so what is C.S. Lewis saying? C.S. Lewis is saying there are miracles happening all around us. And, and they're so commonplace to us that we become numb to them and we fail to recognize them as miracles. I mean, just think about how do crops grow? A farmer places a seed in the ground, act of faith. That the seed then has to die, and then out of the death of that seed shoots up life. That's a miracle. Think, think about the conception of a child. All the things that have to take place, all the order that God has set in place, those are miracles that oftentimes we miss out. And that's what he said. There are miracles all around us. They're just in such big letters. Many of us miss them. So what he says is that miracles oftentimes are when God sends us this, this little personalized note in, in letters small enough for us to see in an intimate way that shows that I am God and I see you, I love you, and I'm, I'm for you. This is what, what miracles do. And, and as we've been walking through the book of Mark 1 through 6, here's some of the miracles that we've read about and we've preached about and we've read through. Jesus heals a leper. Jesus heals a paralyzed man and he, he, he heals many, many others. He casts out demons from many different people. He calms a storm by verbally rebuking it. Storm stopped and the storm stopped. A miracle he calls his disciples to go and to cast out demons and to heal the sick, and they do just that. He raises a little girl from the dead, miraculous. And just last week, we read about Jesus feeding the 5,000 with just five loaves of bread and two pieces of fish. He prayed, he blessed it, 
and multiply miracles. And so today we're going to look at another miracle in Mark chapter 6. If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn there. We're going to look at the miracle of Jesus walking on water, but not just Jesus walking on water. We're actually going to turn to Matthew in a moment, and we're going to see that Peter also walked on water. And so we're going to pick up in Mark chapter 6, verse 45. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side to Bethsaida. While he was dismissed the crowd, and after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them, but they saw him walking on the sea. And they, brought it, and they thought it was a ghost, and he cried out. For they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. So let me just catch everybody up to where we're at. So Jesus has sent out the 12. They came back. They were so excited. There's 5,000 people there waiting for Jesus and the disciples. Jesus breaks the bread. He blesses the bread. He feeds them all. And then he tells the disciples, hey, you guys go get in the boat, and I'm going to dismiss all of these disciples, these 5,000 men plus women and children. I'm going to take care of them. I'm going to give them, you know, the last little final benediction. You guys go ahead and go, and I'm going to pray, and I'm going to release them. And, and then once they left, the guys are on the boat, and so Jesus, he he goes to get some time away. And, and all the people in the room said, it's good to have some time away from people. Amen. And all the, all the introverts are like, yes, preach it. Preach it, brother. So, so Jesus recognized there is a time to minister. There's a time to pour out. There's a time to speak out. There's also a time to pull back on the mountainside by yourself, to connect with the Father, to be fed by the Father so that you can go out and continue to do So we see this balance in Jesus' life. And so this is what he's doing. And it says he looks out the fourth watch of the night, which is between 3 and 6 a.m. in the morning. And they've been battling for hours, uh, trying to get this little boat across the sea that was known for its storms that would pop up. And it says that he walks down. He was just planning to go on the other side, but they see him. Now, remember, it's the middle of night, and they're tired, and it's probably raining, windy. And so they see this figure, and they're like, oh, my goodness, it's a ghost which you probably would have said the same thing. And they can't really make out who it is. And so Jesus, he gives them some peace. He says, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. I am here, I am with you, it's me. Now I wanna flip over to Matthew chapter 14 and we're gonna see the continuation of the story from Matthew's perspective. He is one of the gospel writers that captured um, what Peter responded after Jesus said, hey, hey, don't be afraid, it's me. We're going to pick up in Matthew chapter 14, verse 28. So Jesus has just said, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid, just like in, Matthew, or in Mark's um, story. And then in verse 28, it says, and Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. So Peter got out of his boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got out of the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshiped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. And so this morning, what I thought we would look at is we would look at Peter and his encounter with Jesus and, and the miraculous. And, and, and I want us to see Peter as a mirror this morning. 
I want us to see ourselves in the midst of this story because I think many of us can relate to Peter, both the good and the bad. If you've read much of the Gospels, you know Peter was all over the place. He was up and down. He would say some amazing things. Then he would put his foot in his mouth and say some terrible things. And if you're like me, uh, my wife would attest that that's exactly who I am. Like I have some great moments and I have some really bad moments that I'm embarrassed to be in public. Uh, and this is Peter. And what we're going to see today, we're going to see in this moment a really high point and some really low points. So if you're taking notes, the first thing I want you to write down in the listening guide is Peter had faith to ask. Nobody else in the boat said, Lord, would you, would you call me to you? Peter had faith to ask. We, we know that James 4.2 says that we don't have because we fail to ask. Now, now here is a reality that we just need to know in, in our following Jesus. Just because we ask doesn't mean we're going to get, right? Y'all with me? Just because we don't ask or just because we ask doesn't mean we're going to get. But, but here's the reality. What I know in practicality is that 100% of the questions that are not asked are never answered. I'm going to try that over here. Hey, 100% of the questions we never ask are never answered. And so if, if I never ask for a miracle, it's likely that I'm never going to experience a miracle. And so Peter is the only one that got to actually encounter and be pulled into what Jesus was doing because he had faith to ask. Now, what, is it, what does it mean when we ask? What is it representing when I ask something? It's two things. First of all, when I ask for anything, what am I doing? I'm humbling myself. See, when I come to God and, and, and I ask him for anything, a miracle, financial, whatever that is, when I ask him, what am I doing? I'm humbling myself. I'm recognizing that I don't have, but, but God does have. And, and I'm recognizing he has authority, and, and I don't. I'm recognizing he is God, and I'm not, and that is what humility is. So when I ask God for something, I'm actually humbling myself and recognizing I don't have, but you have, and so I'm asking you. And in the same sense, when I ask God for something, not only am I humbling myself, but I'm expressing faith. And we know what pleases God. Faith. It's impossible to please God apart from faith. And so when I verbalize my request to God, I'm humbling myself, but I'm also expressing faith that he is able. He is able. And so if we want to experience God, if we want to know God more fully, I want to put before you that we must not grow weary in asking him for it. And you say, well, I, I've waited two days and he hasn't answered it. <laughs> well, you know, Abraham had to wait 25 years. The people of God had to wait 400 years for their response. And so I want to encourage you today, if you want to experience God, you're asking God for a miracle, do not grow weary in asking. We are called to ask God for what we desire and what we need. And in doing so, we are humbling ourselves and we are expressing faith. The second thing I want you to write down as we look at the story with Peter is that Peter had faith to step out. I said not only did he ask Jesus to come out in the water, but, but then it says that he actually stepped out onto the water. Faith without obedience isn't really faith at all. It is the application of our faith where faith is actually made real. Taking the first step requires a degree of risk. 
And I've heard a pastor say that you spell faith R-I-S-K. There's no getting around it. You, you, if we're going to step out in faith, we've got to take a risk. And, and Peter, he took a risk to step out of the boat. Now, have you ever thought about this? Just, just, just go with me for a moment. You know, sometimes we get in these stories and we just kind of glaze over. But remember, these guys were really in a real boat. There was a real storm going on. There was real wind going on. They're seeing what they think is a ghost. They realize it's Jesus. But, but, but what Peter says is, Lord, can I come? And, and the Lord says, yeah, come on, Peter. Now, now, have you ever considered what did it look like for Peter to step out of the boat? I mean, was he so filled with faith that he just jumped out and like landed on the water and was like, booyah. Yes, that's what I'm talking about, Jesus. Or, or was there... Some apprehension. Did he, did he grab John and say, John, hey, hold my hand. <laughs> wow. I'm, I'm walking on the water. We don't, we don't know <laughs> what, what Peter did, but what we do know is he had faith to step out of the boat and onto the water. Either way, we know that it was his faith and the action of the faith that actually allowed him to encounter this miracle. Peter was walking on the water, it says, just like Jesus. Now just think about that. Just just think about this a second. We oftentimes look at Jesus, the things that he did, and we just chalk it up that he was God. But if we look at this story, Jesus, who is fully God and fully man, he is walking on the water. And then the next moment, a man, a fully man, a foolish man sometimes, Peter, is now doing exactly what Jesus is doing. And this is what I love about Jesus. Jesus did the impossible, but he also invited, equipped, and empowered his, his followers to also do the impossible. Somebody said amen, right? Somebody said amen to that. And we see this, right? He, he wasn't just um, happy with saying, I'm going to heal some people. I'm going to cast out demons. He said, no, disciples, hey, come here. I'm now going to send you out to do the impossible, what I've already been doing, and I'm going to send you out to do it. He says, not only am I going to be the God of impossibilities, not, not only am I going to be the God of miracles, but I'm sending you out to do the same. That's why in John 14, 12, Jesus says that, that whoever believes in me will do the things I've done and will actually do even greater what we see in Jesus, we see that he was fully God and fully man. Uh, Colossians 1.19 says that the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in Jesus. So, so when we see Jesus, we see uh, fully God. We want to know what God looks like, we can just look at Jesus. But, but then Hebrews comes along, 2.17, and says that Jesus was made in every way like his brothers. Every way. Yet was without sin. Fully man. And fully God, not one or the other. And what's incredible about Jesus is that everything he did, everything he did, he did through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in his life. How did he cast out demons? He says, I cast them out by the Spirit of God. How how did he heal the sick? He said the, the Spirit of God was upon him to heal the sick. How did he proclaim the message of the gospel of the kingdom of God? It was the Holy Spirit that was upon him. Now, I don't know about you, but that gets me excited because here is the great insight for the day. Is the same Holy Spirit that rested upon Jesus is the same Holy Spirit he's promised you and me. 
That means, that means everything is on the table. Everything is on the table. He said, they will do what I have done and even greater. We have the same spirit living in us and anointing you and me for ministry. The same exact spirit that Jesus had upon him. And that should get us excited. We should expect to become more and more like Jesus because of the spirit. We should expect to see the impossible become possible because of the anointing of the spirit. We should expect the supernatural to become more natural. We should expect to love our enemies because the spirit is upon us. We should expect to give up some comforts to sacrifice our well-being for the needy because the spirit of God is upon us. We should expect to see the kingdom of heaven break in to this world in our spheres of influence, not because you're special, but because God has given you his spirit to not only live in you, but to be upon you, the same spirit that raised Jesus. And so I want us to see that Peter, he experienced the exhilaration of walking on the water because he asked and then he stepped in faith. And as long as his eyes were on Jesus, as long as his faith was upon Jesus, everything was great. And he was walking just like Jesus. He was depending upon Jesus. But the moment that his eyes went astray, the moment that he got his eyes on something else and distracted him, that's when things went south. And, and, and we see this in uh, verse, uh, verse 30. It says, but when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink and cried out, Lord, save me. The next thing in your listening, God, is Peter had fear of what if. Peter had fear of what if. So Peter started out great. Like, I'm gonna step out on the water. Okay, I'm, I'm looking at Jesus. I'm focused on Jesus. I'm trusting in Jesus and everything's great and I'm walking along and he's walking. He's walking just like Jesus. But then all of a sudden, maybe a, a splash came up and hit him in the face. Remember, it's, it's, it's in the nighttime. It's water around him. So maybe he got splashed and that splash like startled him. And, and at that point, maybe he just realized the reality was just sinking in to, to what was going on. Or maybe the wind blew a little extra hard and, and he got a little tipsy and he started almost falling. And in that moment, he realized, oh, wait, I'm a human being. Human beings don't walk on water. So he began to doubt. In that moment, Peter began to focus on his circumstance. He began to focus on the atmosphere around him. He began to focus on his present reality, which undermined his focus on Jesus. See, Peter began with bold faith, but his circumstance got the best of him as he took his eyes off of Jesus. You know, we often have enough faith to see a miracle begin, but many of us fail to maintain it over time. We see Peter, he stepped out, and then as he's walking, whatever's happening, he begins to think of what if. What if I start to sink? What if... I drowned. What if I'm knocked over? These are the what if statements that may have been going through Peter's head. We don't know that for sure, but, but if he's, Peter's like me, which he's a man just like me, he probably would have been thinking like, what if? And, and honestly, I think the what ifs in our life oftentimes derail our faith. God has called us to something and we're following Jesus, but in the midst of my following and obedience, I get caught up in the what ifs. What if I mess this up? What if? They don't respond well to what I tell them. What if I pray for this person and they aren't healed? What if? What if? See, God has called us to faithfully obey. 
by faith. The thing we need to know is the further we get away from our initial step of faith, the harder it's going to be to stay focused on Jesus and the more distraction we will have for fears to bombard us. Uh, just this week, I was sitting at Panera Bread and uh, uh, getting a little holy time with my Bible and my laptop. And I'm just there early in the morning. Not many people were there. And um, I'm praying, reading through my Bible plan. And, uh, and this mama came in with her three little kids, school-age kids. And they come in. And as soon as I saw them, immediately I felt like, okay, Derek, you're supposed to buy their breakfast. Innocent enough. But I was like, ah, okay. I'm going to buy that breakfast. So I, I get my credit card out, and I'm watching. But then, but then right, I, I feel like I've heard from God. But then in that moment, the what ifs start going through my head. You, you've probably been there before, or maybe you're more holy than I am. Um, and, and so immediately, I feel like God said, hey, go buy their breakfast. But in that moment, I'd be like, man, that's kind of awkward. Like, what if I get up there, and what if they're already, like, trying to pay? And then it's, like, weird. What if she, like, thinks I'm a creeper, like I'm this dude, like, and she's, like, a young mom. And, like, and so what do I do? I take my credit card, and I put it back in my wallet, and I set it down. And then I start having some conversations with God because this conviction is just growing. I said, well, God, why don't you just, if you could just let them sit at this table beside me and then I'll know this is you. And then I'll gladly get up and I'll pay for their food. Just, just would you do that, Lord? And I felt like in that moment he was, he was just stirring me up to say, Derek, you know what I've called you to. Will you be faithful? And I'm, I'm ashamed to say I didn't make it up there in time to pay for their meal. And I felt like, oh, I had lost it. And then they go down and they go sit down and, and so I'm still wrestling with the Lord. And I said, God, man, I feel like you told me to do this, but I just messed that up. And what if, the, you know, that. And so I just said, man, if I have any money in my wallet, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna go do something. And like, I never have money in my wallet. <laughs> not because we're poor, but because who has cash anymore? Um, not me. Um, but I opened my wallet and, and guess what was there? A hundred dollar bill. Now that's not a miracle because I was given that like last week. So that wasn't the miracle. <laughs> but I had forgot about it. I had forgot about it, honestly. And so I open it up, and there's a $100 bill, and that's pretty cool. And I'm like, oh, darn. <laughs> Thought I had Jesus there. And so I go up to the cash register, because I'm not, I'm not going to give her a $100 bill. You know what I mean? I'll give her something, but not $100. And so I go up to the cash register, and I say, hey, can I get 520s? And the manager gives me the 520s, and I put four back in my wallet, and I got one for her. And, um, and I'm sitting there, and I'm creeping. I'm like looking at him. Uh, I'm just going back and forth, like, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if, like, this is weird, and it's already weird on my end, like, I'm a, and so I go back and sit down again, and then I see she's getting ready, and I'm like, well, it's now or never, like, I'm preaching on faith, I'm preaching on being obedient and just stepping out, I better live this out, and so I get up with as much faith as I can, and I walk over to her, and she's kind of putting shoes on her kid, and, and I said, excuse me, ma'am, and she kind of looked at me like, what are you doing? And I'm like, hey, this is, this is going to sound weird. But when you walked in here, um, I, I felt compelled as I was praying that I was supposed to buy your breakfast. And, and I didn't do it. I wasn't fast enough. And she's like, no, no, no. Like, thank you so much. That's so sweet of you. Don't worry about that. And so then it started getting awkward because her kids were there. <laughs> and, uh, and so I said, hey, hey, just, will you let me just, just put this on the table? And I just want you to know. God sees you, and he loves you. So, so just let me do that. And she said, okay, okay, you know, I'll take it, and, and I'll pass it on. And I turned around, and I walked away. Now, there was no fireworks. There was not this, oh, thank you, God, that you gave me a $20 bill. It changed my life. There was none of this. 
But what was, my, what was my calling in that moment was to be faithful to what God had called me to. So Peter, Jesus said, come, and Peter stepped out. But along the way, those what-ifs started creeping in, just like they did for me. What if, what if? And they were trying to derail me from walking out of what God had called me to do, just like Peter. And so what I found in that moment is that God has called me to be faithful. And when I have a fear, when I have this what if, I really need to get that before the Lord and say, God, is this you or not? And so this is what I want you to do this week as you're getting some time with the Lord. I want you to make an inventory of the what ifs in your life that are keeping you from living out what God has called you to. Now, this will change your life if you really do this. And I know most of you won't do it, honestly. But for some of you, you're going to say, I I want to do that. I'm going to take this before the Lord. Because the what ifs in our life are constantly warring against your faith. They're constantly trying to undermine, do I really believe that God called me to do something? And so when you take this inventory of what is keeping me from being obedient to God, what am I scared of that's keeping me from walking the, the lane that God has called me to? When you write those down, our only response, biblical response, is to confess that to the Lord. Speak truth back to God. God, this is what I'm scared of. This is what I'm fearful of. And, and, and by doing so, what are you doing? You're getting your eyes off of the what if, off of the distraction, and you're getting your eyes back on Jesus. And you're saying, God, I give you these what ifs. I give you these fears. I want to follow you. And that's exactly what we see Peter do. In the midst of his doubt, what's he do? He repositions his eyes on Jesus. And so he has doubted. He's got his eyes off of Jesus and he begins to sink. But thankfully, the last point of your notes is that Peter had a lifeline. Peter had a life that he had stepped out of faith. He was walking by faith, but then he began to sink because he got distracted. He was looking at his circumstance rather than following what God has called him to. And in that moment, he cries out, save me, Lord. And the Lord reached down and picked him up and saved him. Now, now is it possible that the most miraculous piece of this story is not Jesus walking on the water, is not Peter walking on the water, but the fact that in the midst of Peter's doubt, Jesus still reached out and saved him. Could that be the most powerful aspect of this story that oftentimes we miss out, that Peter cried out, save me, Lord, and Jesus reaches down and picks him up. See, I don't know about the Jesus you know, but that's the Jesus that I know. That in the midst of our darkest day, in the midst of our doubt, He's willing to reach out and to embrace us. In the midst of us running far away from many years, like some of us in this room are, he's willing to embrace you today. In the midst of our choosing sin, choosing uh, to run contrary to God's ways, and we know that, we purposely choose it. In the midst of that, God still says, "I I want to embrace you, I want to love you, I want to save you. See, this is the Jesus that I know through the Bible. A God who in the midst of our darkest days, in the midst of our turning away from, in the moment where I said, Lord, save me, (laughs) he's there to save me, to embrace me. These words, these three words are so powerful. Lord, save me. This is what we see in Romans 10.13. Romans 10.13 says, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone say everyone. everyone. That's what Paul meant when he wrote this. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. 
See, Peter reached out to Jesus as his only lifeline, and Jesus miraculously saved him. And this is God's desire for all of us, that this is part of our story. That I was sinking, that I got my eyes off of everything but Jesus, and then in a moment, I cried out, Lord, save me. And he saved me and he embraced me. I've shared my testimony a little bit, so I'm not going to go into the details, but, but this is exactly um, kind of what I have experienced in my own life. Uh, seven or eight years ago, uh, I was a business guy in the corporate world trying to be at the top. Uh, I had dreams and aspirations, and I worked really, really hard to do that, and I had been getting some traction in the corporate world to success and been put on, you know, that promotion trajectory where you just kind of hang on and see what happens, and, and you just do what the big man tells you. You get a tattoo of the company on your, you know, and that, so that's what, that's what I was doing, and, and I was like just, just, just going hard after it. And by the way, that's not a bad thing, but it was bad in my, in my situation because in the midst of that, I had got my eyes off of Jesus. See, I, I had trusted Jesus. He had saved me years prior. But, but in this season of my life, I had got so distracted by making a lot of money, by getting the right uh, promotion, by the potential of going back and getting an MBA and, and being a C-level executive someday. I had all these plans and all these things that I wanted to do. In the midst of that, I got my eyes completely off of the one who saved me, and I was running down the path of Derek. And it was a miracle, a miracle the most powerful miracle in my life is when Jesus allowed me to see myself for who I was. In a moment, sitting in a steakhouse, he gave me this vision of, of how I was running down a path that was not what he had for me. That I was making plans that were not plans that God had for me. And in that moment, I, I saw myself for who I was. And in that moment, by God's grace, the miraculous in my life, I said no to this and I said yes to Jesus. Lord, forgive me. Save me. Draw me close to you, Lord. And in that moment at the steakhouse, my life changed. My wife's life changed. My family changed. And I'm going to tell you, generations in my family changed because I recognized that I was sinking. My only hope was Jesus. My only hope was Jesus. And as I said yes to him, he, he pulled me in close just like he did Peter. And, and I began to experience God, his love, his mercy, his grace. I got to know the Holy Spirit for the first time as a believer. It changed everything. I cried out to God and he saved me, just like he did Peter. Just like he's promised that everyone who calls upon the name of God, the name of Jesus, will be saved. The last point in your notes says that miracles are intended to give revelation that leads to worship. Miracles are intended to give revelation that leads to worship. In this story, at the very end, verse 32, it says, and when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshiped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. Listen, this is what the purpose and intentionality of God that allows us to encounter miracles with this purpose, to give us revelation of who he is. See, see, the miracle of Peter walking on the water and Jesus and Jesus saving Peter, it was awesome. But, but what we see in the story is the aftermath, the effect of this miracle is that the disciples actually see Jesus for who he is for the first time. And, and, and they say, you are the son of God. See, this, this miracle, it gave 
the disciples a revelation of who Jesus really was, that he really was God. And what's it say? Out of that revelation of Jesus as God, it says the way they did what? They worshiped him. Literally, that means they got down, they prostrated himself, and, and, and they worshiped him. If you experience a miracle or somebody says they've experienced a miracle and it doesn't point them to worship Jesus, I would put before you that that miracle did not come from God. It just didn't. We know that the devil masquerades and he can do some pretty amazing things to copy God. But every miracle that begins with Jesus ends in worship. And what worship is, is not just me raising my hands, although I'll tell you what, the freedom that I've got to worship God in song, and sometimes I dance and make my wife a little uncomfortable. You know, that is worship for sure. But let me tell you what worship really gets down to. Worship begins with that kind of stuff, but, but worship void of obedience is not worship at all. So miracles are intended to give us revelation of God that leads us to worship, and worship is Obedience, God, I don't understand, but I'm going to follow you. I'm going to trust you. 